Allah states in the Quran, Certainly, we've made it a Qur'an in Arabic, so perhaps you will understand. Yet, considering a large portion of the world doesn't speak Arabic, how can we share the message of Allah to the masses in a way that they don't only understand, but feel its impact? Today, we're joined with Dr. Mustafa Khattab, translator of the Clear Qur'an and author of the Clear Qur'anic Dictionary, and also the Clear Qur'an for Kids. Why and how did he come up with one of the world's leading English translations of the Qur'an? Let's find out. And one time he was challenged by a Muslim. So the Muslim told him, have you ever read the Qur'an, you and your wife? And the man said, no. So he said he received a copy of the clear Qur'an. He read it. So by the time he finished, he and his wife, he accepted Islam. And now they are working in Dawah. But before we begin the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for notifications. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Dr. Mustafa Khattab. How are you today? How are you today, Chef? Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. It's so great to have you here with us today. And I'm also joined with my brother Mukhlis from a previous podcast. You may remember him, a student and teacher of the Arabic language. MashaAllah. How are you today, Mukhlis? MashaAllah. Sheikh, let's just get straight into it. Yes. What's the story behind why you decided to go out and embark on the, I guess, the momentous task of translating the Quran into English? So. I studied at Al-Azhar uh, in Egypt from the age of seven all the way to bachelor's in Islamic studies in English and translation and also master's and also PhD. Uh, so th- this is kind of my field as sure. an insider into Islamic translations. So I moved to North America back in 2007 and for the last 14, 15 years, I've been in the field of Dawah. So I used to give out copies of the Quran and as we say in English, we used to give it with a pinch of salt because you were not totally satisfied with the copies of the Quran, the translations that you were giving out. SubhanAllah. And I think uh, what eventually triggered uh, this uh, project uh, was in 2013, I was in Toronto, uh, downtown. I was a visiting imam here. Uh, so it was a Friday. I was going from the masjid to the uh, hotel room. And the driver that day was not Muslim. So while I was sitting in, in the back, he said that, you know, uh, Muslims are good people, but Islam sucks. No, oh, no. And I said, dude, why? He said, because your book, the Quran, calls me an animal. No, and no. I said, dude, what are you talking about? I'm Hafiz. I know the whole Quran by heart, and it doesn't say this anywhere. And he said, no, this is what his translation uh, says. Uh, so that night I checked, there, there's this website called Islam Awakened. And back then they had about 40, 45 different translations for each ayah of the Quran. So I checked and the man was right. So some translations, uh, and of course he cited ayah 855. Kafaru. So the worst of all dawab are those who are disbelievers. So I, I, I said, subhanAllah, the word dabba in Arabic is very general. But many of those translations, they say either animal or beast. 
So I said, you know, that's it for me. Tonight, I'm going to uh, start translating the Quran. And of course, I was aware of some of, you know, mistranslations and misconceptions about the Quran. Um, you know, and, and those mistranslations have been used against us. When we go, you know, downtown to do street dawah, you know, missionaries would come and they have, you know, some of, of those old translations of the Quran and they use them against us. Y'all, look, there's a mistake here. There's a, a contradiction here. And I tell them that this is not the Quran. This is just a translation of the Quran. So I, I guess this is what, you know, started this whole process uh, back in 2013. Alhamdulillah. And I'm happy I, I made the, this decision that night. Uh, Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. What, what, what was the process in, in coming up with the translation? Obviously, it's quite a you know, massive task. So how would you actually go through and uh, come up with that translation? Yeah, the way I did it, uh, I said to myself and, and my team that Allah says in the Quran, We made the Quran easy. But many of those translations, especially the old ones, they use, you know, thou and, and all that stuff and all English and they make it extremely difficult. So much so that subhanAllah, back in 2016, we have a big conference here in, uh, in Toronto. It's an annual thing in December. And this uh, publisher from a country in Southeast Asia, he came with a copy of the Quran and he said, this is a project that he was working on and it's for kids. I said, okay, let me see. And I opened the book. MashaAllah, I like the the butterflies and the colors and but the translation was none other than Yusuf Ali from 1934 wow. and I said dude this is like crazy all the old English complicated archaic style and I told him even college graduates here in Canada they can't understand some of the structures and some of the words in the translation so I don't understand why do we complicate things too much mm. right so the standard we set, that the translation, inshallah, will be clear, accurate, fluid, and, and uh, so it will be relatable and accessible. So these were the standards that we set. So the way I did it, I started with the translation. I started by myself, and it took me initially one year to finish the whole Quran. So I translated one page, two sides, every single day uh, in 2014, whether it was Eid, whether it was Ramadan, if I was sick, if I was traveling, I had to translate one page with the help of Allah. Then after I finished, uh, so uh, I put together a team of about 100 people, uh, brothers and sisters, old, young, high school students. And we have three non-Muslims in, in the team uh, to help with the word choice. But we made sure with the imams and the editors that the meanings are correct. But this project, the Clear Quran is for everyone, including the Muslims, of course, for Dawah. So they would tell us, you know, this word is not clear. This concept is difficult. Put a footnote and so on and so forth. And Alhamdulillah, by the time we finished, two of the three non-Muslims accepted Islam. Allah Alhamdulillah. Allah. Um, and every, every time there is a new edition, uh, so far in the last, Alhamdulillah, six uh, years, we have published several editions in English only, in Arabic for kids and so on and so forth. Every time, every single time we produce a new edition, I go through the translation, I receive feedback from the people and we try to refine the work. Because this is just a humble human effort to explain the divine. And just to say up front that no translation is perfect. Mm. The only perfect thing 
is the Quran in Arabic, but this is just a human effort to explain the divine. And this is why we need to keep refining it and editing it to make sure to make sure that it's accurate and it's accessible. Alhamdulillah. And, and sorry, and just uh, alongside that, did you have any references that you use, like you know, um, books of tafsir, or did you rely on other existing translations? Yeah, of course. You cannot translate the Quran without referring back to all the previous translations. So you have to check Yusuf Ali, Pictou, Sahih International, Ahmad Zaki Hamad, Abdul Halim. You have to study them. And alhamdulillah, I went through almost all of them. Um, and I studied tafsirs. And I listed uh, many of them uh, at the end of the book. Uh, we have like 40 of them at the end of the Arabic and English uh, edition. Uh, from all tafsirs like Ibn Kathir, Qurtubi, Tabari, Nasafi, Zamakhshari, Al-Kashaf, and modern ones like the ones that have been adopted by Al-Azhar in Egypt, uh, the one in Saudi and Kuwait, and, uh, and many other ones. Uh, so basically I consulted these different translations and these different tafsir to make sure that I chose uh, the, the most accurate meaning and I presented it in the most accessible way. Hmm. Was there any particular resource that you relied on on extra, particularly, let's say, uh, to help you make a choice? Let's say there were multiple uh, opinions that were offered and, uh, you know, you needed to weigh up those decisions. Uh, usually, uh, At-Tabari, because At-Tabari uh, gives you the different uh, opinions uh, on uh, each ayah or whenever there's a difference of opinion regarding one ayah or one word. And there's also the uh, tafsir by Dr. Sayyid Tantawi. He used to be the, the Grand Mufti uh, and Sheikh Al-Azhar of Egypt. Uh, so what makes them different from other uh, Mufassirun is that they give you the different uh, opinions or options and they... Uh, they give you their choice at the end. That this is the best meaning, this is the strongest opinion because of one, two, three. And I used to rely a lot on their uh, preferences and choices. Sorry to stop the discussion, but if you enjoy what you're watching and would love to see more like this, please head over to our website at www.onepathnetwork.com and consider contributing. Whatever you can give would be greatly appreciated. Jazakallah khairan, and let's get back to the discussion. Sheikh, throughout the course of this translation journey, were there any moments that, I guess, stood out to you? That were just like, oh, this is like an incredible experience, like while you're translating the Quran? Well, I think what hit me the most is the consistency of the Quran. You know, the stories are repeated, the story of Musa alayhi salam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, um, and so on and so forth. The perfect consistency of the Quran is what stood out for me, you know? Mm. I, I have always been a student of the Quran, but this is the, uh, uh, this is the time when I really was immersed in the tafsirs and the translations of the Quran. So the consistency and the beauty of the Arabic language. You know, so uh, just a little bit, you know. So subhanAllah, the Arabic language is so rich. So according to uh, some of the grammarians of Arabic, the scholars of Arabic, Arabic has more than 12 million words. That's 25 times the number of words in the English language. Allah. So sometimes we have concepts and structures in the Quran in Arabic that cannot be translated into English. In the Arabic language, you have more than a thousand words for lying. Uh, you have so many different levels of friendship, love, sleep, enmity, and so on and so forth. But the English language is, is like miskin, is limited. 
And this is why many of those nights when I was translating the Quran and I used to break my head over some of those concepts because we don't have an equivalence in the English language. So subhanAllah, I was working and there are some ayat that took me like a whole week to translate one ayah. You know, yes, I did the initial translation, but to be fully satisfied with an ayah, sometimes it took longer than that. You know, like this particular ayah in Surah Ma'idah, فَإِنْ عُثِرَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُمَ اسْتَحَقَّ إِثْمًا فَآخَرَانِ يَقُومَ It talks about wasiyah, but hmm. the ayah is so powerful in Arabi. And, you know, in English, when you compare the English to the Arabic, the Arabic, the English is so lame and, and so uh, and so limited. Also, some of the words in, in Arabic, like the word yameen, فَرَاغَ عَلَيْهِمْ ضَرْبًا بِالْيَمِينَ In the Quran. So when Ibrahim السلام, hit, the idols, the statues with his with his yameen. So the scholars of tafsir, they have seven different meanings for the word yameen. So it could mean that he smashed him with his right hand, yameen. Or he smashed him with all of his might and power, yameen. Or he smashed him with the oath that he took when he said, by Allah, I'm going to smash you. So the word yameen means an oath. Seven different meanings, and all of them are acceptable here in this context. How are you going to do it with this? You know, how are you going to deal with this in English? You're going to just stick to one meaning, and maybe you can list some of them in the footnote. So English is limited, but the Arabic is so rich. And this is one of the many challenges that people face when they translate the Quran. Um, you mentioned that at the beginning of the journey, or one of the inspirations for starting with the translation process was um, was da'wah and uh, you know trying to convey convey the the message of the Quran to to non-Muslims in in a correct way and to clear misconceptions. Yes. How how do you believe that we as Muslims should encapsulate or convey the impact of the Quran? Because we know that the impact of the Quran, for example, uh, in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, when they read Surah An-Najm, you know, we had the the the, the polytheists, the disbelievers, the people against the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, prostrating right at the end. So True. that was because of the connection to the Quran and the 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 understanding of of the words. But when you know we're in the West and we're trying to convey the message uh, to people that don't understand Arabic, that people that uh, don't have the access to, to to the Quran in an original way, how do you believe we can Im- encapsulate that impact? So we believe in the inimitability of the Quran that you cannot copy the style, the eloquence, the power the beauty of the Qur'an in Arabic. However, we also believe in the universality of the message of Islam and the message of the Qur'an. Only 15% of Muslims can understand the Qur'an in Arabic. 85% they don't speak Arabic. And the great majority of people uh, on the planet, they don't speak the Arabic language. Uh, Some some say, you know, everybody has to learn Arabic and this and but this is not practical and this is not realistic. So we have to convey the message of Islam, uh, the message of the Quran in translation. And subhanAllah, back then when the Prophet Sallallahu he was communicating with the rulers and the kings of his time, and he sent letters to Kisra and Qaisar and Najashi and this and that, he made sure that he chose a Sahabi who could understand the language of that king or that ruler. And some of those letters, they had ayat from the Qur'an. And those messengers that were sent, they actually translated those ayat. 
in English, not in English, but in the languages of those people. Uh, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, he was a relative of the Prophet ﷺ when he was in Habash in Abyssinia, when he recited Surah uh, Maryam to An-Najashi, the Negus of Ethiopia, he translated the ayat into the language of the king. Because otherwise, if he just recited the words in Arabic and the king couldn't understand, the message was not delivered. So we have to, uh, to be able to communicate the message of, of Islam in a way that people can understand. And, and again, this should be motivated by the belief that this is the final message and this is a universal revelation for everyone. So it should be accessible to, uh, to the global audience through the medium of translation. SubhanAllah, Sheikh, that's, that's actually very powerful. And I guess the timing of your translation occurred during a time of, I guess, heightened Islamophobia, heightened, I guess, Muslim hate. You know, we had Donald Trump in his presidency saying stuff like Islam hates us. And as you mentioned at the start, uh, non-Muslims would pick up the Quran and say, hey, it's calling us animals. Another common misconception, the Quran calls us to fight disbelievers wherever they are, uh, kill non-Muslims wherever they are. Now you're going out to translate this Quran. And as you mentioned at the start, one of your intentions was to make sure that the non-Muslim could understand it. Were there any, I guess, methods that you, I guess, imposed while translating the Quran to make sure that certain people won't be able to mistranslate, misinterpret, or I guess, um, Take out misconstrue context. the Quran? Yes. So number one, we made sure that we provided surah introductions to give you the historical context. Mm -hmm. We also put footnotes. And I also grouped ayat together and gave them titles based on the theme. Wow. So this ayah that triggered this translation, 855, in If you go to the translation, you'll see this passage uh, all the, uh, the ayat that are relevant to the topic are listed together. And the title says that those who violated peace agreements with the Prophet. So when you read the ayah in context, the ayat before and the ayat after, and the following ayah says, Those who made peace agreements with them and they violated them every single time. So it's very clear here that it's not talking about, you know, Everyone, it's talking about a specific group, the pagans of Arabia, who are at war with the Prophet ﷺ at this particular time. And the word Dabba is also explained, I referenced, the word Dabba, it, you can read it in the introduction of the translation, that the word Dabba is explained somewhere else in the Quran. In chapter 24, verse 45, Allah says, He created every Dabba. This word that was misconstrued, for animal or beast, it means a living being, a moving creature. And Allah says that some of those dawab, they slither on their bellies, some walk on two feet and some walk with four feet. And so it's a very general term. So I think by grouping these verses, giving them titles, giving the historical background, explaining the so-called controversial verses in the Quran, I think you, you make it uh, you know, easier for people to, to see the, the whole picture and not just a small pixel. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this is what the uh, translation tried to achieve. There are some other good translations out there, but the historical context is not there. There are hardly any footnotes. So how would a non-Muslim figure out all these concepts on their own if you don't give them any context or any 
background, right? Mm. So you have to explain to them to help them understand the, the Quran. SubhanAllah. And I guess even on saying that, like although we can give the context for certain verses, there are times when the Quran will make people shake. Like for instance, the verses is about hellfire, which are like scary, frightening, but at the same time, yes. they're concepts that need to be said. And it may be a bitter pill for many to swallow, but they need to be said because at the end of the day, the Quran came to shake people, you know, to, to provoke change amongst communities. What would you say about that, Sheikh? It's very true. SubhanAllah. Uh, usually when we do da'wah, I would love to connect people with the, with the words of Allah directly, right? So when they read the Quran, they would feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking to them. Uh, I have seen a lot of people accept Islam by just reading the Quran. And I've seen people, you know, non-Muslims who cry when they read the ayat of, you know, Allah. some powerful ayat in the Quran. Like this non-Muslim lady came to my mosque here in, in Canada and I showed her, because she was Christian, I showed her the ayat at the end of Surah 5, Surah Ma'idah, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to Jesus on Judgment Day about, you know, did you ever tell people to worship you? And he said, Subhan, like, how can I make such a uh, claim? And, and she started to cry. No, no, I also remember, subhanAllah, two years ago, I got this uh, message on Facebook from someone in the U.S. And this person told me that he used to be an Islamophobe. He was actively smearing Islam on social media. He was against Islam. And one time he was challenged by a Muslim. So the Muslim told him, have you ever read the Quran, you and your wife? And the man said, no, I just, you know, bits and pieces, you know, to just. So he challenged him to read the whole Quran. So he said he received a copy of the clear Quran. He read it. So by the time he finished, he and his wife, he accepted Islam. And now they are working in Dawah. SubhanAllah. By just reading the Quran. So. Subhanallah, when you read it, you get the whole picture, you understand what Islam is and what Muslims stand for, and you see the, the beauty of this religion and the universality of the message. Subhanallah, it's a testament to the Quran in and of itself. I think at the end of uh, Surah Al-Isra, if I'm correct, the people that have knowledge, when they are, when they are I don't want to translate the Quran in front of a translator of the Quran, but you know, the people of knowledge, when they hear the words of Allah, they fall on their faces crying and they have this fear or you know or maybe the sheikh is better to translate than myself yeah you translated but perfectly <laughs> alhamdulillah but alhamdulillah you should yeah. make your own translation of no, the, Quran, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the clearest the clearest Quran ever I have too long to I get to that level sheikh too long to I get to that level alhamdulillah so when you have an everyday person or everyday Muslim let's say uh, that wants to start studying the Qur'an, uh, what are some tips that you have, for example, to use the clear Qur'an? H how should a person use that? Should they start, let's say, be, uh, from the beginning, read to the end? Should they start with maybe the surahs that they already know and they read in their surah? What, what do you recommend? I usually ask them to start with the introduction of the translation. It tells them what Islam is, because Islam, contrary to what people believe, didn't start with Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. So Islam was the message that was delivered by all the prophets of God from Adam to Muhammad Sallallahu uh, There are many prophets who are mentioned in the Quran. So we believe that there is only one God. Uh, there is one humanity. And this God 
sent to this humanity one message that was delivered by many prophets. There's a hadith in Muslim Imam Ahmad, Allah sent 124,000 prophets. And they all came with the same message. And the message has always been, have faith in one God and be a good guy. Do good. So even when you look at the Ten Commandments, have faith in one God, don't worship other gods. And from five to ten, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, be a good guy. And we have those commandments in the Quran, in, in, in Surah An'am at the end, and in Surah Isra, have faith in Allah, honor your parents, don't cheat, don't kill, don't lie, and so on and so forth. So basically, I tell them, start with the introduction. It, tell, it talks to you about the stylistic features of the Quran, because many people, they think that the Quran is just a biography of the Prophet, which is not. And one thing people realize when they read the Quran, the Quran is not about the Prophet, وسلم, the Quran is about you. So the Prophet وسلم, is teaching you to read the Quran, to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, there are some examples from the Prophet وسلم, in the Quran and his seerah and so on and so forth. But the Quran is there to help you have a better relationship with your Creator and a better relationship with His creation. So the introduction also answers a lot of questions about what Islam is, who Muhammad Sallallahu was. All these different questions, the, even the crazy ones that people ask about Islam, you know, Islam and jihad and terrorism and democracy and shura and hijab and non-Muslims in Islam and all of these things, they're answered in the introduction. So we clear these, we get them out of the way before they get into the uh, the uh, Quran. So whether they start from the beginning from Surah 1 Fatiha then Baqarah or they start from the end, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the most important thing, there is a message that is always emphasized whatever you read in the Quran. Have faith in Allah, be a good person. It doesn't matter where you read, uh, uh, which Surah you read, right? So this is the message that is echoed throughout the Quran. MashaAllah. Um, I, have an, I have another question, just as an Arabic teacher, I encourage sure. people to learn Arabic and I say, you know, this is your, your, a way that you can understand the Qur'an. Um, but then we have another way that you can understand the Qur'an, which is through the use of translation. So yes. how do you see these two, you know, when you have a Muslim that sort of uh, has, has these two different paths that they can take, how do you sort of like weigh between the, uh, the two or balance them up or, you know, how do you, what do you recommend to someone? So reading the Quran in Arabic is like eating fresh food and eating, uh, reading Quran in translation is like eating canned food. So I hope this analogy makes wow. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so there is nothing like reading the Quran in Arabic. So for those who are not able to um, study or learn the Arabic language, I would tell them, read, read a good translation. Everyone claims to have produced the finest, the best translation in the world, even if they are the least qualified, right? So I'm saying this as an insider. Um, you know, subhanAllah, uh, some translate, translations were done by professionals, by like trained translators in Islamic studies, in Arabic, and ulum al-Quran, and all these branches of knowledge. You know, just like, you know, there is someone who claims to be a doctor, but they don't have any training or any qualifications, and nobody will ever trust them with their life or, or their health. But there are doctors who studied, they were trained, they know what they're doing, and they have credentials. And this is what I'm asking people to do. 
So if you look for a translation, make sure that the translator is qualified. Make sure that they have the right aqidah. Because some translations were done, you know, by people from those heretical sects and messed up aqidah and so on and so forth. Uh, so, and so on and so forth. If you are able to study Arabic, then Alhamdulillah, this would be best because, as I said, the Quran in Arabic is so rich and it would help you with the dabbur, understanding the, the shades of meanings and the meanings of the ayat in Arabic, whereas the translation is only limited to one meaning. And this is why I produced this, the Clear Quran Dictionary, which was released earlier this year. And uh, believe it or not, Kamal, the We've Quran right has only... Oh, mashallah. <laughs> Our friends at Project Quran hooked us up. The clear Quran dictionary. You the man, you the man, mashallah. <laughs> so you believe it or not, the Quran has only 2,000 words. It's built on 2,000 words, repeated in different forms. So those words are verbs, verbs, nouns, and particles. So the total is 2,000 words. And of course, they are repeated tens of thousands of times throughout the Qur'an. Sah? So if you study those 2,000 words, then you should be able to understand the meaning uh, of the Qur'an. And I made it super easy for you. At the end of the book, there is this uh, poem. It's called Rahiqul Qur'an or the Nectar of the Qur'an. 242 lines of poetry. So I made a poem and it rhymes with those 2,000 words of the Qur'an. So I made it, this poem, poem for the Hev students of the Qur'an. So once you memorize those 2,000 words, it becomes easy for you, inshallah, to master the Qur'an in Arabic. And of course, you will need to, you know, study, read some tafsir to, to, to get some, some more insights uh, on the ayat of the Qur'an. So the bottom line is, if you can study the Qur'an in Arabic, Alhamdulillah. If not, then if you read it in translation, you still get some barakah, some of the blessings uh, of the Qur'an as well. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. Shaykh, I'm going to go off to a side point, inshaAllah. Translation Shalom. of the Qur'an aside, someone who's spent like an incredible amount of time, and I ask Allah to make us of Ahlul Qur'an, um, someone who's spent that much time with the Qur'an, we want the Qur'an to hit our hearts. And you spoke a little bit about tadabbur. How do we achieve a level where an ayah of the Qur'an will hit us? You know, you mentioned the story about the Christian woman who read the, yes. the last page of Surah Al-Ma'idah. And then we hear the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he will repeat the verse on the last page of Surah Al-Ma'idah. Yes. And he would just yes. cry and cry and cry over this one verse. We, we heard another story of, I think it was Imam Malik, the last verse of Al-Hakum uh, Al-Takathur. Uh, and he just repeated it and repeated it and cried and cried. How do we reach that level where the Quran just immerses, hits our hearts through this, I guess, this exercise of tadabbur? So, Hard topic, uh, <laughs> heavy topic. Uh, yes, it's... Yes, it's, it's a good question and, and we need like a week uh, to cover this uh, topic. But uh, briefly, alhamdulillah, uh, when you read in the seerah, people like Al-Mut'im ibn Adi, uh, Jubayr ibn Mut'im, he accepted Islam because of two ayat in Surah Tur. 
Did they create themselves or did they were they created by nothing? Did they create the heavens and the earth? In fact, they had no certainty. So he said when he heard those two ayat from the Prophet, he accepted Islam immediately. And the stories are so many. So uh, I guess. It, it is. It, it all comes down to our attitude towards the Quran, because if you go to my village in Egypt, you know, usually if you hear some Quran playing in in someone's house, usually you ask who died, because <laughs> it has come to be associated, in, at least in my village, also in some other places, with death. They play the Quran if someone dies. Even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, man kana hayyan. This Quran is a reminder to those who are truly alive. Uh, so we need to understand that, you know, when you buy a phone or you buy a laptop or a car, it comes with the manufacturer's manual. So the Quran is your manual. It came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show you how to function in the best way, and, and, and how to live a decent life based on this book, right? And this book, Allah calls it Shifa, healing for sure to all of your problems, psychological, spiritual, financial, social, political, whatever problem that you have, the Quran has the solution for it. And subhanAllah, I remember one time I received a question from a young student, a Muslim student, and he said, when I told him that Allah sent a total of 124,000 prophets, and he said, why are not all these prophets mentioned in the Quran? And I told him, if all those prophets are mentioned in the Quran, it wouldn't be the Quran anymore. It would be like something like the Encyclopedia Britannica, hmm. right? So the whole purpose is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to sample some of those prophets. Because those prophets, each one of them dealt with the problem that we have in our daily lives. So if you are talking about political corruption, read the story of Musa and Fir'aun. If you want to read about, you know, family dynamics and social life and siblings rivalry, read the story of Yusuf salam. If you want to talk about morality, read the story of Lut salam. If you want to read about financial corruption, read the story of Shu'aib salam. So all these prophets together, they give us the whole picture. And Muhammad came to teach about all these things so we can live a good life in this dunya and make it to Jannah in the next. So once you look to the Quran as shifa, healing, for sure. Allah did not call it ilaj, medicine. He calls it shifa, healing. Because ilaj, medicine, maybe it has side effects. Maybe it will not heal you. But Allah says it's shifa. Now the problem is, and I have to tell you this uh, story. It's a true story that happened in Egypt a long time ago. One of the uh, imams, he told that, that he had a relative in Egypt and this relative had an ear infection. So he went to the doctor and the doctor, he examined his ear and he gave him some, uh, some pills. And he says, I want you to take this medication. Take one pill every uh, eight hours and I want to see you in three days. However, the patient came back the next morning and he said, you know, when I took the first pill, I was in pain. I took the second one. I was in tears. I took the third one. I couldn't sleep the whole night. And this is why I came. 
So the doctor said, subhanAllah, let me examine your ear again. And he looked and he, he found the three pills stuffed in his ear. <laughs> oh, man. So the problem here is that the medicine is, is the right medicine, but the way of using it is wrong. So what we do, subhanAllah, you know, we decorate the Quran with, you know, ayat from the Quran, like the one that was given to me as a gift behind me here. Mashallah. Or subhanAllah, we... Uh, uh, we recite the Quran when someone dies or some people they do like uh, instead of stikhara they just open a random page you know they look at a, if, if the, the ayah is there. positive yeah they do it if the ayah talks about jahannam or punishment they, they run away you know but this is not the reason why Allah revealed the Quran Allah revealed the Quran as your guide so once you understand that these are the words of Allah and these words are meant for you and these words have shifa for all of your problems. And these words will lead you to Jannah. These words are the last words that came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, one of the Sahaba, when the Prophet passed away, she was crying. And Abu Bakr and Umar, he said, are you crying because the Prophet died? And she said, no. Her name was Ummu Ayman. Uh, and the Prophet called her his mother after his mother. And she said, I'm not crying because the Prophet ﷺ passed away. We are told in the Quran that he was going to die. I'm crying. I'm crying because of the door of revelations that has been closed forever. No more revelations from Allah. This revelation that started with Adam, with the death of Muhammad ﷺ, this door has been closed Forever, khalas. And this is why she was crying. There's, she said, there's no more Quran coming down, and this is why I'm crying. Subhanallah. So once you have this personal connection with the Quran, when Allah says, do this, or don't do this, you know that He's talking to you. The problem is some of us, when you read an ayah in the Quran, aqimus salah, zakah, do this, don't do this, you think, oh, He's talking to my cousin. He's not talking to me. And this is what makes us different from the Sahaba. When they read something in the Quran, each and every one of them understood that this ayah is talking to them. And this is why they acted upon these ayat. So in a nutshell, your relationship with the Quran should be reading it in Arabic if you can, or in translation if you can't. Uh, understanding it based on tafsir. Tadabbur, reflecting on the meanings of the ayat. Acting upon it. And teaching it to others if you can, inshallah. I wanted to just ask with respect to reflecting on the Quran, a concern that many of us have, especially um, if we aren't uh, sort of uh, strong or able to access the Arabic or understand the Arabic, we're not able to access most of the books of tafsir. We sort of feel concerned, um, you know, coming up with our own thoughts or our own takes on ayah because it could be incorrect. What if we're, you know, interpreting the Quran in the incorrect way? Like, how do we deal with these concerns that we have? This is why we said uh, it's, it's good to, uh, to make sure that you pick a decent translation of the Quran to make sure that the translator is qualified and they're able to capture, you know, uh, the, uh, the correct meaning of the ayah. Just one meaning, not all of them. Um, and also, as I said, when you read the tafasir in Arabic or English, some of those tafasir have been translated, like Saadi, like Ibn Kathir, and, and some others. 
and also there is Al-Razi, Al-Fakhr Al-Razi, Tafsir Al-Kabir by Sheikh Shuaib from the UK. So there are some Tafsir that have been translated into the English language. But let me just tell you if, let's say if you read the Quran in translation, can you do Tafsir? Sorry, Tadabbur. By reading and understanding and being immersed in, in the tafsir, uh, subhanAllah, uh, you, you know that you're reading the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if the meaning is correct, and if your mind is attentive, because Allah says at the end of Surah Qaf, if you want to get the benefit of this Quran, if you want to be impacted by the Quran, إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَذِكْرَ لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ أَوْ أَلْقَ السَّمْعَ وَشَهِيدٌ وَهُوَ شَهِيدٌ If you want to benefit from the Qur'an لِمَنْ كَانَ لَهُ قَلْبٌ Those who listen with an attentive heart and attentive ear But if you just read Like you read a newspaper You're not paying attention You're not reflecting on what you're reading Then you're not going to get the benefit But just let me give you one example of Tadabbur Just based on the English when you read the last ayah of Surah 17, Isra, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَقُلِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي لَمْ يَتَّخِذُ وَلَدًا Say, Alhamdulillah, who has never had any children or who has never taken a son. Because the word walad can mean son or it can mean children in the Arabic language. This is the last ayah, ayah 111 of Surah 17. Now when you move to the first ayah of Surah 18, the first ayah and second one, it says what? Alhamdulillah, Alladhi anzala, right? So the last ayah of Isra says, Say Alhamdulillah. Then the next ayah, the first ayah of Surah 18, it says Alhamdulillah. The last ayah of 17 says, The one who has never taken a son, the next ayah in Surah Kaf says, And this Quran gives a warning to those who say that Allah has a son. So the Ending of this surah and the next one, they're connected. Now when you look at surah, uh, surah for example, surah waqi'ah. The last ayah of surah waqi'ah, فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ Right, say subhana rabbiya al-azim. This is the last ayah of waqi'ah. The next surah, the first ayah says, سَبَّحَ Subhanallah, right? And so the examples are so many. Even sometimes the wording is the same. When you read the last ayah of Surah Tur, وَإِدِبَارَ nujum, When the stars fade away, this is the last ayah of Surah Tur, 52, Surah 52. The first ayah of 53 says, When the stars fade away. The last ayah of Surah Hajj, Surah 22, it says, Make ruku' worship Allah. The last ayah or two of Surah Hajj. The first ayah of the next surah, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Successful indeed are the believers who are humble in their salat. Right? Not only that, when you read in the Quran, the beginning of the surah matching, matches the ending of the same surah. I'll give you one or two examples so we don't you know, dwell on this uh, one. So for example, this surah, 23, Successful indeed are the believers, right? At the end of the surah, The kuffar, the disbelievers, will never succeed. Wow. 
The beginning of Surah Taha, ما أنزلنا عليك القرآن لتشكى, we have not revealed the Quran to make you miserable. The ending of the Surah, it says, وَمَنْ أَعْرَضَ عَنْ ذِكْرِ فَإِنَّ لَهُ مَعِيشَةً ضَنْكًا Those who turn their back on the Quran, they will live a miserable life. So isn't this something? And subhanAllah, when you read the translation, and you reflect, even in translation, you will get some of the benefits of tadabbur, right? By just reading the translation. Because Allah is kareem. Yes, He will give you some a flavor of tadabbur in the English language, but of course, there is a wealth in the Arabic language, right? So I, I think this is, uh, this is a good place to start. If you don't speak the Arabic language, you read in a good translation, inshallah. MashaAllah, that's heavy. That's very heavy, Sheikh. Um, Alhamdulillah. You've, you've translated the Quran. That's the first step. You've come up with the clear Quran dictionary. The clear Quran for kids. Let's move yes. on to the clear Quran for kids, inshallah. Yeah. You got your so, own copy? We got yeah. it. We got it, Sheikh. Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Allahu Akbar. <laughs> Um, I've had a look through the Quran, uh, clear Quran for kids, and um, it's an amazing resource, mashallah. Yeah, amazing resource uh, uh, for kids, but adults as well. Like you know, um, the, the things in there are things that, uh, of course, you know, adults need to to learn and and reflect upon. Uh, how do you recommend that we use this? You know, should it be used uh, in in schools, in Saturday schools? Should we use it at home? Like, uh, how do you recommend we use it? So. This, this uh, translation is done basically for beginners, being um, students between the ages of 7 to 14, 15, or new Muslims, or any novice reader of the Quran. It's good to start with this uh, translation. People who study at home, like homeschooling and for Islamic schools as well, because subhanAllah, it gives, you know, the, uh, the background, it gives you learning points, side stories, background stories, and words of wisdom. And it, of course, one of the good aspects of this uh, work, alhamdulillah, this is all because of the tawfiqullah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We could not have done this on our own without the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Answering the difficult questions that our children ask about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of those questions are atheistic in nature. Because... The kids are, you know, they, uh, they want to learn and, and they don't mean anything wrong. They just, they are curious, they are inquisitive. They want to, you know, they want to learn. Just like in the Quran in Surah 2, when the angels said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why would you put human beings who will spread corruption on earth? They, they, they were not questioning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just wanted to learn the wisdom. And in the same way, Ibrahim alayhi salam, he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, كَيْفَ الْمَوْتَى How do you give life to the dead? So our children, when they ask those questions like, uh, how do we know that Allah exists if we can't see Him? Or who created Allah? Or why there's so much evil in the world? Or, and so on and so forth. Or if Allah is so merciful, how come that some kids are born with cancer and how can people, you know, die from COVID-19? And they ask these questions. These are logical, rational questions. And instead of telling them, you know, shut up, don't ask these questions in my house. You're not my kid anymore. You have to provide them with answers. If you don't know the answer, it doesn't mean that the answer doesn't exist. Allah says, ما فرطنا في الكتاب Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala never left anything out of the Quran. So the answers are in the Quran. 
The answers are in the Sirah, the Sunnah of the Prophet So we have to be able to, uh, you know, find answers to these questions. And the good thing about this translation as well, when I was young, uh, I loved stories and I loved illustrations because I'm a visual learner. And this is why when I studied at Al-Azhar when I was a young student, I used to illustrate the lessons from Al-Azhar. Whether we're talking about history or logic or whatever subject, poems, poetry, I used to illustrate the poem, the lesson, so I can remember uh, the, the lesson from this uh, illustration, right? And also, I believe, Wallahu alam, that this is the first translation that has been edited by kids. So I put together a big team. You can read the names uh, in the acknowledgments. We had 50 or more than 50 kids. Uh, yeah, it's right here on the other side, the acknowledgments. Uh, between the ages of 7 to 12, they edited the translation. We read it together. And we made sure that everything is understandable. Because if the translation is difficult, they wouldn't uh, understand it. And as we speak, we are working on part two of the book. Mashallah. So in, in the first part, we covered surahs. We did Fatiha, but we covered from 49 to 114, the last uh, 67 surahs of the Quran. And currently, inshallah, we're working on uh, 20 surahs from surah 29 to surah uh, 48 because and the reason I divided the Quran in this way is because there is a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ in Musnad Imam Ahmad where he said that the Quran is made up of four sections uh, based on, on length mostly so he said the long surahs are listed first from Baqarah to surah uh, end of surah Tawbah these are the long ones then he said Al-Mi'un the surahs are about 100 ayat, give or take. And these start from surah 10, surah Yunus, all the way to surah Qasas. Then he said, Al-Mathani, the surahs there are less than 100. And these are from 29 to 48. Then Al-Mufassal, the short ones, from Hujurat to the end. So this is how I divided the Quran. So over the next four or five years, inshallah, we should have been done with the rest of the Quran in the same style, bi'ithni Allah ta'ala. MashaAllah. Just another question with respect to that, just in, in terms of how we use uh, this book, uh, you know, in our own homes or, or in the classrooms. Uh, the reality is that many parents or, or even, even, you know, our Saturday school teachers, they might not feel confident uh, teaching this I feel that one of the challenges that the Muslim community faces is that you know our general uh, you know Saturday school teachers they're not like scholars of the Quran they're not confident to come up and you know uh, teach tafsir to the to, to the children H how can they take use of this resource so instead of just memorizing the ayat in Arabic and and sometimes from what I have seen some of the schools they use like you know, all translation of the Quran, like verily, beneficent. You know, these are powerful translations, but, are not, but not for kids. Kids don't know what beneficent is. They don't know what uh, omnipresent and uh, omniscient and uh, verily. They don't know this stuff. So basically, uh, you know, you, you need to make sure that they understand the ayat. We need to make sure that they understand why these ayat were revealed. And what I did in the translation, I used lots of stories 
like from different parts of the world. So we have a story from Japan, a story from Turkey, from Egypt, from America, from Canada, from Somalia, from different countries because Islam is universal and it's for everyone. So kids need to be able to relate to the ayat, right? So you can't explain an ayah based on something from Muhammad Ali the boxer, something based on something that Allama Iqbal said, something based on, I don't know. So basically when you explain the ayat based on real uh, true stories that happened in Islamic history or in modern times with illustrations, I think this will help kids visualize and internalize the ayat of the Quran. It will make it easy for them to live their lives according to the Quran. So in one ayah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the natural world, I spoke about the, the uh, different species that we have in this world. And it is sad that 50% of the species that we have today will go extinct in about 100 years. I spoke about the use of plastic and so on and so forth. When we spoke about Qadr in part two of the book, we spoke about Qadrullah and some people have great expectations. When we spoke about the last ayah of Surah Luqman, Surah 31, ayah 34, we spoke about nobody knows when they are going to die, um, except uh, it's one of the things that nobody knows except Allah. He knows what is in the wombs. He knows what you will earn for tomorrow and so on and so forth. And we spoke about, you know, Qadar, Ajal, the lifespan that Allah has written for you. And the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari, where he drew a square in the sand, and there's this line going all the way out. And this is your amal. This is your hope in life. And I gave the story of Kobe Bryant. He died in you know early 2020. And, and I told them the reason why many people were shocked is because Kobe Bryant was young, he was healthy, he was rich, he was famous. But he had great hopes in life, things to achieve over the next 50, 50 years. But he died young. And this could happen to any one of us. And the problem is we feel sorry for Kobe Bryant. Yes, we feel sorry for him, of course. But we don't feel sorry for so many people who die worldwide because they're not as famous, you know. So I, I give stories and examples to, you know, to, uh, to, to make this ayah relevant to the life. You know, so I think tying an ayah to a story or to an illustration, it will make them, you know, live the ayah and be attached to this ayah and, and to understand it rather than just memorizing it and thank you. So I gave... I gave some tools uh, to the teachers to help them, empower them to teach the kids and give them some meanings and insights that they can use when they teach the children. SubhanAllah, that's actually very brilliant, I guess, as a methodology to teach our new generations, to let them know that the Quran is in a book, Asatir al-Awwaleen, as the enemies of Islam used to say, ancient tales, but rather it's a book which is relevant to this very day, to the modern times, yes. as you eloquently presented, subhanAllah, and I think that's very important for all of us, those that are involved in teaching the Qur'an, to implement, inshallah, so that the children in our new generations can have a greater connection with the Qur'an. Sheikh, we're yes. approaching almost the end of the, the podcast, but before we do finish the podcast, I wanted to ask you a personal question. Sure. Inshallah. As you mentioned, Kobe Bryant, he passed away, all of us, will have to pass away one day. And yes. a great honor would be to pass away 
and be resurrected amongst Ahlul Quran. Ahlullah wa khasatu. The, the yes. people of the Quran, the people of Allah and his special chosen people. And I ask Allah to make you of these people and all of us, inshallah. Amin, amin. On saying that, when you do pass away, what is the legacy you want to leave behind with the Quran? If Allah gives you life. So, it's a great honor to serve the Quran. So, uh, I think my motivation, the motivation behind translating the Quran and the legacy that I want to leave behind, knowing that this life is short and we would love to leave a legacy. Uh, I think my biggest motivation is when I stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on judgment day and he will ask me, uh, Mustafa, what have you done for Islam? And I tell them, I tell him, Allah, I've done my best uh, over so many years to make the Quran accessible to Muslims and non-Muslims, to the old and the young. And I try to spread your message. I try to make people fall in love with the Quran and bring people closer to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I've done my best uh, even if I have fallen short, I trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive the bad and he will accept the good, knowing that I was sincere in this in this effort, inshallah. I mean, I mean, may Allah make us of those who are sincere in our efforts and resurrect us amongst Ameen. the people of the Qur'an. Jazakallah khairan, Sheikh Mustafa. It's, it's been an absolute privilege and honor to have you join us here today. Jazakallah khairan, Brother Mukhlis as well. Uh, for those that are willing to purchase the clear Quran, they can head over to Project Quran for those that are in Australia, but of course around the world, I'm sure. Yes, uh, go to our website, theclearquran.org, theclearquran.org. MashaAllah. You can purchase the, the clear Quran for kids, the clear Quran dictionary. I myself have got a copy and I'm sure I'll be using them, inshaAllah, for my children. And, and that would be a, a means of sadaqah jariya for yourself, Sheikh, inshaAllah. Jazakallah khairan once again. For our followers and our viewers, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. And inshaAllah, we look forward to seeing you again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.